another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Oh, we got a barn burner today. So, uh, the emergent guys, you know, Brian McLaren, Chris Say, Leonard Sweet, guys like that. I think they've crossed the line from being a movement to being a cult. Why do I say that? Well, they've got a new translation that they've put together called The Voice. And I happen to have a copy of it here in the studio. That's right. Diligently doing my show prep. You know, it's one thing to critique, you know, something you see on the Internet. But uh, when somebody claims to put out a new Bible... um. You know, you got to go out and get it and do some just some work to find out if what's what's in this Bible is really the Bible. And you know, I'll let the cat out of the bag, folks. I've, I let's see, I, I I I haven't read the thing cover to cover. Let's just put it that way. Let's just say that I've gone to some important texts to see how they handle it. And it just so you know, what's my authority to do this? How do how am I even qualified to decide whether or not? This new Bible is even really a good translation. Well, I happen to have taken three years of Greek and three years of Hebrew. I've actually done translation work, done it on the uh, undergraduate level, and I've kept up my Greek. My Hebrew is a little rusty, but uh, you know, I, I could fix that in just a few weeks of <laughs> polishing that back up. And so, let's just put it this way: I can read the original languages. And know how to do comparative work, know vocab and all that kind of stuff. And I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, okay, the only worst translation on the planet is the Jehovah's Witnesses New World Translation. And this, I, it, I'm telling you, it, it it's almost a tie with the New World Translation. It's so bad. This is not, I mean, this is serious. This is, in fact, this is so bad, this makes the message paraphrase look like a word-for-word literal translation. We'll get into that later in the program today. Stay tuned. So we'll be talking about the new emergent translation called The Voice. Serious. So you're a little uh, rusty on the Hebrew? A little rusty on my Hebrew. Well, yeah. your surfer's pretty good. But my surfer? Yeah, your surfer's pretty good. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> my surfer's like, yeah, well, it's because I live in a surfing surfing town. You know what, though? I don't look like I live in a surfing town. Yeah. You should see these kids. I mean, the younger kids who spend all the time in the in the water. It's amazing the, the commitment they make to this sport. I mean, you on any given day of the week, with the exception of maybe if there's a tsunami coming into town. We haven't had any of those, by the way. Um, you wake up 5, 6.30 in the morning just as the, as the sun is getting to come up. There are kids in a lineup out out on the surf, around the uh, all times of the year. You know, these are high school kids. They got to get in their surfing before they go to before they go to school, before they go to class. We have collegiate That's right. In fact, well, San Clemente's uh, San Clemente High School, our surfing team is like taking first in the nation for past few years. You know, we rock. Our football team. Well, it is a bunch of surfers, which kind of explains why they don't do so good. But our surfing team really rocks. So um, you have to have a little bit of civic pride here. Yes, you can get a letter in surfing in high school. That's right. You, I, that's true. At San Clemente High, you can get a letterman jacket. You can letter as a surfer. Dude. Dude. <sighs> so. And they have coaches. That's right. Surf coaches, you know. 
man. <sighs> Maybe I could be a golf coach someday. My handicap isn't low enough yet, and I haven't been able to play lately. <sighs> Life goes on. We're going to do some listener email before we talk about the new emergent translation called The Voice. And if we have time today, we're going to circle back and talk about this new uh, compassion group. <laughs> compassion, I have to put that word in quotes. New compassion group. And uh, the compassion group is out there attacking dogma and calling for peace and unity and love between all the world religions. And a couple of the people, who, the, the, this new compassion group that's been formed, uh, we'll play a little video from their website. And uh, we're happy to tell you that a couple of people who, that are on the, quote, the Council of Sages for this new compassion group, that's what they call themselves, Council of Sages, um, happened to share the dais with uh, Rob Bell at the Seeds of Compassion event. And these people are supposedly Christians. So, yeah, anyway. Okay, so we're going to start off with an email from Logan regarding yesterday. We talked about uh, how to share your faith using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. And, uh, wow. (laughs) By the way, we're actually trying to... uh, we're trying to pull some strings here at Fighting for the Faith to see if we can't get Paris Hilton to actually come on our program. At this point where we sit, we have about a one in one million chance of getting it. So if you guys seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, that means we actually have a chance. So <laughs> we'll keep you posted. But uh, I, uh, I'm trying to get Paris Hilton to actually come on the air with me and uh, do a little interview. Just want to get her feedback and you know and find out what she thinks about people using her show to promote Christianity. <laughs> yeah, but right right now one in one million chance. One in you know, so we have a chance. But we have a chance. So we're pulling some strings. Got some people working the network. They got skills. They got they got some Hollywood skills. Computer hacking, yeah, computer hacking skills. Yeah, that's right. Hollywood skills. Anyway, so Logan writes he says regarding he says uh, the, the the headline was basically, you know, um, regarding Hilton's BFF, and he goes, <laughs> that, that's that's been, that's that's I think that's the proper way of spelling. <laughs> yeah, he did. He he did it really well. I don't. It, my spell checker didn't say that it was misspelled, so I, I think he spelled <laughs> right. He says atheists don't stoop this low to try to be relevant towards potential converts. It's amazing the shamelessness of Christians who actually think that this would be a good way to share their faith. Um, the reality is that if you're a person who regularly uses this, uh, the stupid ways that Christian, uh, the Christian Post recommends to share the faith, like the impossible-to-believe um, uh, ways that the that Master Chief from uh, Halo is, Christ, is like Christ. Yeah, that's why I remember when uh, that latest Halo game came out. Was that Halo 3 or something like that? Um the uh, it, Halo Three. They they had the the Halo Three Bible study. I, am I even? It, was it Halo Three? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you th- you think so? Guitar Hero. Uh, oh, Guitar Hero. Yeah, no, no, no. They have they had the Halo Three Bible study. No, serious. <laughs> the whole yeah, the whole point was you know to get people to share their faith using Halo. Okay. It's true. It's true. You could, you didn't know that you could share your faith using Halo. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if there's gunfights and stuff like that. No, it doesn't matter at all. So, I mean, it, no, I know, but there's redeeming Christian values in Halo. You didn't know that? I wouldn't want my child to play that game. Oh, well, Dawn just came in. Dawn is uh, my administrative assistant. She's uh, letting me know that uh, she wouldn't even let her own children play Halo. What's wrong with you? Aren't you a Christian parent? Yeah, yeah see. It sounds Christian Halo. 
Yeah, Halo. See, yeah. duh. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Halo are angels and stuff like that. Yeah, so the Christian Post actually put out a, an article on how to share your faith using Halo. Because everyone knows that Halo is a <clears throat> Christian game. So anyway, we, we continue here with uh, Logan's thing here. He says, who actually think that this would be a good way to share the faith? Okay, okay. <sighs> okay, you will you will be seen through almost immediately. Okay, that's right. Here, here we go. Let me read his sentence. Back up and get a sentence because he has like a he, he's got like a little clause that he's stuck in there parenthetically. The reality is that if you are a person who regularly uses the stupid ways that the Christian Post recommends to share the faith, you will be seen through almost immediately by your friends, and the respect that Christ should have in a conversation will uh, yet uh, take another nosedive. So there it is. He says, I found that using the way of the master or just telling someone um, that uh, that you're a Christian and that you want to know if anyone has ever explained the gospel to them both uh, works a whole lot better and makes Christians look a lot more relevant, uh, reverent of the God that they are serving. I think what scares me uh, the most is that this can that, that this woman who proposes this crap, he actually wrote crap, can you believe that? Um, has probably been a Christian for 20 years or more, uh, and uh, well, I've been a Christian for four. How can she not see what she's doing? I don't think she realizes what she is actually doing, and I now just uh, read that she is the editor of Dare to Share, uh, another <laughs> Bill Bright clone probably wannabe, you know. Anyway, so Logan says, imagine if I wrote an article, How to Use Wicca to Reach Your Friends for Christ. Now Logan's being really relevant here. You know, Logan, you got you have the potential here with this idea to become a columnist for the Christian Post. Okay, Th- this is really clever. <clears throat> he says, imagine if I wrote an article on how to use Wicca to reach your friends for Christ. There would be out uh, there would be outrage by ex Wiccans and Christians alike. Well, there should be in this day and age, maybe not. Uh, I can see the article now. So he says, okay, so here's his article on how to sh- you share Christ using Wicca, and he says. Start off with ask your friends if they've heard of, heard of, or watched a Wiccan coven in action. If so, what do they think of the witch's approach to finding a solution to a bad circumstance in their life? If you, the reader, hasn't actually watched or attended a Wiccan coven uh, in action, shame on you. They use spells, curses, etc., to find a solution to bad circumstances in their life, such as poverty, divorce, death, and in the in, in death in the family, cancer, etc. That's true. They, you know, they have kind of a net, you know magical worldview you know you light particular candles and it takes care of particular they actually have like a poverty candle you burn that and you you overcome poverty says how would you how would you go about looking for a solution to a bad circumstance in your life what do you value in these solutions to bad circumstances in life and why he says did you know that the bible has something to say about what contributes to bad circumstances in life share these words don't make them feel too bad about their sin all have sinned gently and in soft kitten voices explain to them that sin gives us bad circumstances in life and then ask did you know that the bible tells us that through jesus's gift of salvation we can have the solution to bad circumstances in our life share that <laughs> share what that looks like in your life by getting them to pray the sinner's prayer it always works and then have and then they can be in heaven with you <laughs> um here's the deal it's he's i think logan is discovering what i discovered you can't satire you cannot satirize uh evangelical christianity anymore it's very difficult to do and the problem is is that when you actually write satire like this it's just a matter of time before some enterprising quote christian 
decides, wow, this would be a great idea. So, Logan, I would really expect that any time now, within the next really 15 minutes, um, somebody somewhere is going to publish an article on how to share Christ using Wicca. <sighs> he continues and, and ends with this. He says, never in our own strength and determination can we live up to finding or being the solution to bad circumstances but we have the example and provision of the one who can deliver, and that's Jesus. He promises solutions to bad circumstances in life by extending his gift of mercy to us so that we can experience a restored relationship with God. See, it, see, it, it, sounds, it sounds legitimate. He says, it, it, it took me maybe two minutes to change the BFF article into an article glorifying witchcraft, and all I did was switch out two or three specific words and phrases, and there you go. See, there you... Logan, you have you have a gift, man. You really should consider doing this for, you know, being a columnist for the Christian Post. I mean, this is relevant. This is cutting edge. I mean, look at how brave you are, willing to embrace the other and diversity within within thinking and thinking outside of the box as a means of really finding a relevant way to reach out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ using Wicca. <sighs> oh. So there we go. All right. You know, the chick wrote me again. Cool. Yeah, she did. And and uh, and her friend, Mrs. Roland. I, I, I'm debating on whether or not I should refer to Mrs. Roland as chick, too. But that, that might be too cheeky. Yeah, see, and, and Mrs. Roland, she's not, she doesn't, her, her emails are a lot shorter than, than chick one. So I, I couldn't explain the reasons why. Maybe she wasn't your super... Before. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, what's funny is, is that they both kind of write about the same topic. And so one of the passages of Scripture, too, an answer to the question that the chick asks is actually going to answer the question for what Mrs. Rowland asks. Okay. So uh, the chick writes, she says, uh, good morning, dude. Okay. Could you please send me the link for Ed Young's interview on CNN? I'd, I really have to see this. Actually, you can find it if you go to extremetheology.com. It's it's the right currently today. What's today's date? Seventeenth of November, eighteen. Am I really a day behind? Yep, I am. Okay, so today's the eighteenth of November. So as of the, this moment, as of the eighteenth of November, it's the top post at the extremetheology dot com, and I think the headline is the secular media gets it, and so you can you can see it there. He says, uh, by the way, I'm failing uh, Ed Young's challenge miserably. Apparently, her husband's away on a business trip. So, you know, I I hope that Ed Young has the ability to give people makeup sex. You know, I mean, how unloving would that be if if he basically said, "Nope, sorry, you." There's no way for you to participate in the challenge. For those of you who were otherwise otherwise had reasons that you were out of town or had to fly away on business, you know, I mean, back when I was a kid, if for some reason, you know, you were sick or there was a legitimate excuse why you couldn't participate in school. You know, you can have a doctor write a note or something. So, you know, what you might want to do uh, here, Chick, is um, have your husband's boss write a note for him explaining that he was out of town during the time when the sex challenge occurred and ask Ed Young if if he would allow, you know, for makeup work. It, it only seems fair. <laughs> What should you celibacy then? Right. Of course, but then, of course, you know, they can turn around and have the celibate challenge like the, the following week. So just don't get those crossed. And now she comments on the whole BFF thing. Remember, you know, we were talking about BFF. And, of course, 
John and I being both dudes, um, <sighs> we were speculating that maybe BFF came about as a result of like the, the texting culture. Boy, were we wrong. Okay, check this out. He, it, she, it, the chick writes, did you ever attend high school? Hmm. He, she says, BFF predates all those nifty little electronic gas, uh, gadgets. I graduated uh, high school in 1989, and I remember signing notes to my friends with BFF. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is where it gets really sad for us. Hang on. She says, I could probably pull out my yearbook and find it written in there by people I've never spoken to again. How's that for irony? I highly doubt that boys would have written it, but are they that clueless? That they've never heard one of their female classmates use the term? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> hey, Chick. Um, yeah, I hate to admit this, but apparently, yeah. <laughs> the Remember what I said yesterday about boys and men? They all have Dame Bramage. <sighs> yeah, so there you go. So this completely flew under my radar, you know, when I was in high school. I think that would be in the 10th yeah. So the answer is to the question is could yeah, you know, are guys that clueless? Uh, the answer is mm, yeah. <laughs> At least this guy was. And so was John. Yeah. All right. And so here she says this. Thanks for ask, answering Teresa's email. Teresa's Mrs. Rowland. And she says it answered my lingering doubts that I had about the whole thing. And here's another question for you. Another reason that rapture supporters used for their claim is that the church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation after chapter 3, to which I would say, oh, contraire, not true. But uh, I'll, I'll, let me read the rest of her question. And then I'll, what I'll do is I'll circle back and pull in uh, Mrs. Rowland, uh, Chick 2's question, so that we can you know get them both out on the table because we're going to look at a couple of passages together. Okay, she says... So I've been told that since the Bible doesn't mention the church again, it's gone, it's raptured. I think it isn't mentioned again because there are more important matters to address. I've also been told that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 is valid proof of the rapture because it says, caught up together with them, quote, in the clouds. And Jesus doesn't actually return to earth at that time. Okay, so, <laughs> so Jesus... Flies in. It's it's a near miss. I mean, if we're gonna basically going to take the the rapture view of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter four verse seventeen, he he arrives on the clouds with the shout of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and you know basically making a bunch of noise and ruckus and racket. But it's it's just a flyby. Okay, you know, it, it's a near miss, and then he zooms out of here. You know, comes by basically on the clouds to pick up the church, and whoosh, she's gone. That's the idea. Okay, so she writes, he doesn't actually return when he raptures the church. All I have to, I'll have to ask about verse 16 the next time the opportunity arises. Oh, and, and I'm always causing a stir. Yes, that's okay. You're allowed to cause stirs here. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll handle these in reverse order. Okay, the question, <laughs> okay, does the term that uh, we will ca be caught up together with them in the clouds mean that this is really the rapture because Jesus doesn't touch down. Okay, this so what happens is we don't have a we the second coming of Christ is a really loud and raucous occasion. We're all caught up with together with him in the clouds and whoosh he's gone again. And then what happens is the day of judgment is really the third coming of Christ. Okay, that's how that works. But the the key to this is, you know, because the and the the words she correctly 
uh, italicized is in the clouds. Now, we do a little cross-reference work here. Now, it, good, doing good biblical hermeneutics requires you to look at cross-references because where you have similar phrase, you have the same phrases being used in Scripture with similar meanings, then you're touching on the same subject. And so those passages can be brought in to the discussion to take a look at things to, whether, to determine whether or not um, you have a correct interpretation. So already we've got a problem with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 supporting a secret rapture because uh, what's so secret about Jesus coming back and blowing trumpets and with a shout of the archangel and all that kind of jazz, okay? But then they, th- those who support the doctrine, at least in, you know those who've, argued, who've talked to the chick, um, say that uh, because it says in the clouds. Now, let's do some cross-reference work. Matthew chapter 24 is going to be our first stop. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this term in the clouds. And you, this actually comes up in this passage. I'm going to start at verse 22 so we got some context. Because remember, the three most important things when you're reading the scriptures are context, context, and context. He says, and if those days had not been cut short, this is talking about the end of the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here, he is, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, see, I've told you beforehand. So if they say, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So apparently now we've got another passage. Not only will it be loud, but it will be like lightning. Okay, okay. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay? And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. So here we go. Okay? Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, uses this cloud talk, right? And it says, you know, after the tribulation of those days, can you look at, you know, the, the, just if you want to get the fuller picture, go and read all of Matthew 24, okay? You know, you got false Christ, false prophets, uh, you know, all this, the tribulation of those days, and then in heaven will appear the sign of the Son of Man, and then they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, Okay, there is not a single biblical scholar that would argue that Matthew 24 is not ta- that would argue against the concept that Matthew 24 is about the final day. Okay, this passage right here, verse 30, is talking about the last day, the day that Jesus comes and touches down. Okay, the day of judgment. All the scholars agree that's what this is about. And what's the sign of it? The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. This is a perfect cross-reference to what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17, that we will be caught up with him in the clouds. So here we've got the clouds on the last day. We've got the clouds from 1 Thessalonians. Again, this, this basically puts the, uh, 
you know, puts the day that we're caught up with Jesus in the clouds as the last day. The two work together. Now, what's this cloud stuff all about? Okay, what is that all about? Actually, um, biblical scholars will tell you, and this is found in several prominent commentaries, that um, you know, this cl- when it talks about the clouds, that really is a reference going back to the Old Testament. Going back to the Old Testament, it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day that guided the people out of out of uh, Egypt and into Israel, out into the wilderness. And um, the clouds is literally a sign of the presence of God himself. Okay? That's really what's, the, what this is all about. So when you take First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, 17, cross-reference it with Matthew 24, 30, you've got the same event. The clouds consistently, it basically ties them up together. So um, the interpretation that because because clouds are mentioned that we're somehow whooshed up and Jesus disappears again doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And it's not consistent with other passages of Scripture. Okay, the clouds from Matthew twenty four thirty and the clouds from First Thessalonians chapter four seventeen are the same clouds. And Matthew twenty four thirty is pretty clear. This is the last day. So, okay. Now, I hope that answers that question. And we're going to go backwards now, and we're going to answer uh, the chick's question about um, the Bible not mentioning the church in the book of Revelation after chapter 3, which is not true. Um, But before I answer that question, we're going to, if you want to look ahead in your Bible, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Okay, we're going to read uh, Chick 2's question here. Uh, uh, Chick 2, this is Mrs. Rowland. She writes, um, thank you for your insights regarding 1 Thessalonians 4. I read uh, chapter 4 and 5 in context and now see where you are coming from and you make perfect sense. My next obvious question is this. If we are not already with the Lord Jesus by the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, Will we be expected to take the mark of the beast? Sorry, it was the next obvious question since uh, Chick said her Sunday school class is studying the book of Revelation now. Uh, God bless you, Mrs. Rowland. Okay. All right, so we've got two questions on the table. Both of them are answered in the same passage, which is Revelation chapter uh, 13. The Chick's question is about is basically saying somebody told her that uh, the, the rapture has to have occurred because Revel, in the book of Revelation... Um, the the church isn't mentioned after chapter three, but then Mrs. Rowland asked, in light of what we read in First Thessalonians chapter four, you know, during the tribulation, will Christians be expected to take the make take the mark of the beast? Now, this is where it gets kind of fun. We're going to read Revelation chapter thirteen. Here's a problem though: Revelation chapter thirteen is very difficult to interpret. Okay, why? Because there's a lot of symbolic language in here lots of symbolism going on. In fact, if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, don't think of it as a timeline, as a chronological series of events. Really, the book of Revelation is best understood if you understand it as a slideshow. It's giving you word pictures, okay, of, of, you know, here's a picture of what this is going to look like. Here's a picture of what this is going to look like. Here's another picture of what it's going to look like. These are word pictures. And each of the elements in the pictures, you know, the beast, the dragon, and all that kind of stuff, those are symbols of something, okay? So this makes interpreting Revelation to be very challenging, all right? So I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to try to unpack all the different symbolism here. That's really kind of defeats the purpose. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a look to see if the church is mentioned in Revelation chapter 
13, and I believe it is, and I'll explain why. And we'll talk about the fact if we're if if this mark of the beast is really to be understood as a literal mark that people have to take, we'll for the sake of argument, we'll assume that that's the right interpretation. And I think there's good reasons to believe that. Okay, although I've heard arguments against it, that's neither here nor there. Um, the question that that uh, Mrs. Rowland has is whether or not uh, Christians, if they're around for this, would be expected to take the mark of the beast. So we're actually going to read the entire chapter of Revelation, chapter 13. Here we go. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority and one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? All right? So already, you know, here we are four verses into chapter 13, and you're going, well, What does all that mean? Well, I, I wish I could unpack it all for you, but you know, this is a radio program. And so we're, I just want to, we're answering a couple of questions. Okay, obviously we're dealing with Satan and some kind of a false prophet and, you know, and things of that nature. Verse 5, that continues, And then the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, and also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Okay, uh, uh, Chick, verse 7 here uh, is definitive proof that uh, Revelation discusses the church after chapter 3. Why? Who are the saints? Those, that's the church. Okay, saints and church are synonymous words in the scriptures. Okay, and so we've we read this. Very comforting passage here that um, the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. <laughs> oh, boy, that sounds like fun. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Now, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Okay, now, chick one and chick two. Absolutely seeing here what's going on. Not only is the church mentioned, okay, but Christ who is the who really is the one who wanted this penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the vision that uh, the apostle John had wants us to take comfort and to listen and take heed that there is a time coming and maybe this is I think this is a good argument this is a literal time that we're talking about when the when the beast when Satan himself is going to be allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them and um boy this is going to be all kinds of fun and Christ warns us. He says, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword, he must be slain. Here is a call 
for the endurance and the faith of the saints. We continue. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. I think this is perfectly cross-referenced with what we read in, in Matthew 24 about the fact that there, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Those are Jesus' words from Matthew 24, 24. And so here we've got this beast rising. It's performing great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. What was, his, what was Jesus' first warning when asked about the last times? See to it that no one deceives you. Okay? So here we've got this miracle-working beast. And here we go, verse 15. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who, uh, who, would, not, who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Oh, fun. Okay, so basically here's what it comes down to. The, this thing is, it was given breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and the number is 666. Okay. Now, I understand this is a tough passage to unwrap, but I would say that just on a, just on a first natural reading of it, okay, there's stuff, there's cross-references that we can bring to bear. For instance, the words of, of Jesus himself from Matthew 22 it's very clear that um, regarding taking the mark of the beast, um, the beast, if, the, if that's a literal thing that we're, gonna, we're, we're experiencing here, you'll notice that the preceding verses talk about the image of the beast and, you know, and those being slain who will not worship it. Okay, Here's what it comes down to. If this is talking about a future event and it's a literal mark that people around the world are expected to take, and if they don't take it, they cannot buy or sell the answer to the question is, if we Christians are really around, if you survive to this moment in time, and this is a literal description of what's going to happen in the future, then the expectation would be that you will worship the beast and take the mark. If not, you will either be killed or literally forced into a position where you will have no ability to feed yourself because you can't even buy or sell. In other words, this is going to be a great time of tribulation for Christians who are going to be here. And if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. That's depressing, isn't it? <laughs> Boy, we'll have to call this the depressing episode. All right, we're going to take a break. and we come back, we'll do one more uh, email regarding the rapture. You got a call from, you got an email from 
brother in the UK basically says, don't, don't beat up on us rapture people so badly. <laughs> I wasn't trying to beat up on them, but, you know, anyway. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard so far in the show today, feel free to do so. Uh, contact me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk with one more email, and then we're going to hit the book. The New Emergent Translation. Folks, this thing is terrible. And I will show you from the content itself. It's one thing to just bash it because, oh, I heard it was bad. Another thing, when you actually look in the book itself, it's worse than I thought. Anyway, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, so uh, what did we learn from that last little section? Roseboro's a fatalist. <laughs> We're doomed! Uh, well, I will say this. You know, and here's the deal. I could be wrong on this. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, maybe I'm not reading it right, okay? You, you, you folks who support the rapture... Send me your passages and show me using sound exegetical practices and biblical hermeneutics that the the doctrine of the rapture is clearly taught in Scripture. And I'll repent, okay? I could be wrong. And here's the deal. On that passage in, in Revelation chapter 13, I, I'm telling you, I mean, my interpretation, that could be, like, way off. Okay, why? There's, there's other views you, you, of that passage, and one is a preterist view. That basically says the stuff in the book of Revelation has already happened, and that it's referring to an actual human being who lived at the time of uh, of John. That would be Nero. Okay, so there's other interpretations to that passage. Now, I don't particularly favor the preterist view at all, and I think the preterist view suffers uh, from a lot of problems. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely not a preterist. What what I do think, okay, 
where am I on this? I, I'm mostly on millennial in my thinking, but I think the, the best way to describe it is this. I don't believe in a rapture. I do believe in a tribulation, okay? I do believe that Scripture clearly teaches in the time just immediately before the end, when Christ returns, for lack of a better way of saying it, all hell is going to break loose. I mean, we're, we're talking craziness, okay? We're talking false Christs, false prophets, performing signs and miracles, okay, with the whole goal of deceiving the nations. We've got... We've got in First uh, Thessalonians the, the mention of what is called the great apostasy or the rebellion, the falling away in the Christian church. It, pr- it proceeded followed by the man of lawlessness. Oh, boy, this is going to be fun. So what is so basically I, it, the way I, I handle it, it's like an end as, as an eschatological soup. You throw it all into there. And I and I, I I'm not exactly. Uh, I'm not a pan millennial so that all pan out in the end. I've said that in the past. It's not exactly my position. Um, you know, I lean towards amillennialism, which does take some of these things in in uh, the Book of Revelation, and and basically understands the symbols locked up in these things. And, and in order to properly interpret, you got to figure out how to how to properly understand the symbols. And the reason why I'm not a pre-trib rapture guy is, number one, I don't see it clearly taught in Scripture. That's the most important thing. Now, if somebody can show me clearly from Scripture where the rapture is taught, hey, I'll, I'll be the first to repent. First to say, you know, I never saw that verse before. Wow. Can't, can't believe I missed that one. Okay? But so far I haven't run across that passage, and I spend a lot of time in Scripture. That doesn't mean that I can't be wrong. I could be. But the other thing is is that the, the rapture doctrine is a, literally a new doctrine. And, you know, it, you know, in in church history, never been taught until some American girl had a you know a, a vision about it, you know, in a dream, or you know, and it got sucked up into the. But the other problem that it suffers from is that it's tight, tightly clo- uh, connected with uh, dispensationalism, and dispensationalism you know basically teaches that in the different dispensations of history that there's different salvific schemes, you know. So once the church is raptured, then you know, there's a whole different way that the people after the rapture who want to survive become Christians, you know, or, or be, are saved. It's really crazy stuff, and just, no, I don't see it in Scripture. Don't see it at all. All people in all periods are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Old Testament uh, people looking forward to uh, the Messiah and uh, his fulfillment of the prophecies, us looking backwards in history to the fulfillment of the prophecies in Christ, but everybody of all ages that is saved, saved by Christ to work alone, by faith. So, anyway, which leads to the email from Ola. Ola writes, and he's from the UK. He uh, he lives in Yorkshire. Okay, and, and he has some cool ways he spells some words in here. I'm just jealous. I just just reading this, I can feel the uh, the British accent in his writing. You know, he's, he says words like whilst. You know, I, I can't even say it right. Says he says, love the show. Once again, I will say that it has proven really helpful in my walk. I understand that you don't believe in the rapture, and I guess it's a sore point for many U.S. Christians where the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine has been taught badly often by people who have not given a balanced account of different eschatological views. I am from the U.K., currently living in Yorkshire, and was in a charismatic church for several years after being converted. Their eschatology drew on Kingdom Now post-millennial type themes. They were fond of Charles Finney and revivalism. Sorry, that gives me the willies. And uh, we were always looking for the next great revival. Whilst I did, received some blessings from God. See, there's that 
Fucking waltz. W-H-I-L-S-T. When was the last time anybody in America used the word whilst? Just, it, it even seems right in the paragraph, you know. I, I, could I weave that into something I'm writing? Probably not, without it looking really stupid. He, he pulls it off beautifully. Sorry about that. I'm giving you style points there, Ola. Okay. He says, uh, whilst I did receive some blessings from God from these believers, there was also much confusion and error mixed in with the truth. God has drawn me away from this um, uh, this interpretation. Better, I have actually become a convinced premillennial, and I lean towards the despised doctrine of the pre-trib rapture. The despised doctrine. <laughs> okay, and he says the church I belong to uh, now is conservative evangelical Anglican church, which follows a, a liturgy, preaches the gospel clearly, faithfully, and plainly, week by week. I love this church. I was starving, and I have been uh, well uh, well fed here. I've never. Uh, I, I never make it an issue to try to impose my views on eschatology on my brothers and sisters. If asked, I will explain that I differ and why, but I don't think it's an essential. Now, Ola's got an important point here. Here's the deal. Can you be a Christian and hold to the pre-trib rapture? Yes. Can you be a Christian and be an amillennialist? Yes. Can you be a Christian and hold to post-millennialism? Yes. Is eschatology a fundamental doctrine by which we are saved or not saved? No, no, no. This is one of these areas. Okay, and folks, you know, this got to be important. It's got to be understood here. I have a difference of opinion than somebody based upon my reading of the scripture, but I'm completely open to the fact that maybe I'm not seeing it correctly. And so here's the deal. We have a lot to learn from each other if we approach eschatology with an open Bible, and a good attitude for having a good dialogue. Okay? If your goal is to set out and turn the Bible into a flaming sword, you're going to lop somebody's head off because they don't hold your eschatology, you fight in the wrong battle. Okay? You fight in the wrong battle. So, you know, I, I kind of feel for Ola's um, pain here that he's got here. I, I'll do the Clinton thing. I feel your pain. Um. So okay, he said, okay, okay. He says, I'm sorry that you seem so determined to rubbish the rapture. Does he even use the word rubbish? Well, man, nice alliteration. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hola. Understand. I, I have no personal vendetta against the rapture or people who hold to the rapture. What I want to do and what I basically want to do is let's open up the Bible and see what it says. Real simple. Okay, if the rapture is there, if it actually is truly a doctrine that we should believe, it will be clearly taught in Scripture, plain and simple. If it's not in Scripture, then it's it's a doctrine that we should reject based upon the fact that it's not supported in Scripture. Sola Scriptura. It's nothing personal. Absolutely nothing personal. You know, it's this is just good biblical hermeneutics and interpretation, and that's how we should we should you know approach it. So. You know, I'm, I, I have it set off with a vendetta to rubbish the rapture. You know, although that sounds really cool. I, I gotta add rubbish. He uses it as a verb here. I mean, isn't it? Never mind. He says, I think that all Christians believe that we will be caught up and meet him in the air, as it is written in First Thessalonians. The, uh, the argument is about when, whether or you are premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, or panmillennial. He calls that the cop-out one. I don't believe my amillennial brothers are stupid, and I don't think uh, my pre-trib rapture people are stupid. You know, brothers are stupid. It says, I do find some of them arrogant. I found some 
rapture people to be arrogant and obnoxious too. Almost as bad as me. <sighs> okay, and I'm hearing that many pre-mills can be regarding their eschatological position. Over here in the UK, pre-mills are definitely in the minority. Wow, I'd like to switch with you. Okay, it says, Woe <laughs> Woe betide you if you speak in any way supportively towards Israel. Interesting. And that's that's different. In fact, some preachers find it hard to mention Israel even in the context of Bible exposition. Now that's a problem. Okay. If your eschatological views make it so that you're walking on eggshells, doing biblical exposition, and the word Israel is brought up, see, that's that's bad. In in, in, in a way, here in the United States, it's very similar. The, Israel has become the third rail of theology. Touch it, and you will die. You know? <clears throat> anyway, so... So just think, in some places the shoe is on the other foot, and we and we minority pre-mills experience just as much misunderstanding and contemptuousness. Another great word. This guy's vocabulary is amazing. And uh, and from all mills and post-mills that some of your uh, other listeners have described receiving from pre-mills, please could you just give us a little bit of a break. Uh, friendship in Christ. Ola. Ola, I hope... I hope after uh, you hearing my answer to this that you feel like I'm giving you a break. And again, it's nothing personal. Just... You know, let's let's open up the scriptures. Let's let's let God's word decide. You know, and you know, let then we'll work our way out from there. So, so I don't believe that Christ is going to come with clouds on clouds of judgment against rapturists. You know, <laughs> just because they're rapturists. Oh man, it' funny how that. But he didn't use the word dude once. No, he didn't use the word dude. He sounds a lot more educated than I do. <laughs> educated. That's right. I are I are smart. You know, he he talks better. He uh, he talks better than I do. You know, he, gooder. He talks gooder than I do. That, that isn't that how that goes. Yeah. All right, all right. Moving along here, um, the folks, this is going to take a little bit of time. Stay with me, and um, I I want to warn the church. Okay, um, the emergent folks out there, Brian McLaren, Chris Say, Leonard Sweet, and the whole host of people have put together a new translation, that's the term they use, translation of the New Testament called The Voice. And, um, boy, has this thing got problems. Oh, man, this is, I'm telling you, I, I, I said it earlier, this translation makes the message look like a word-by-word uh, translation of the Bible. It's that bad. It really is that bad. There is heresy dripping through this thing. Okay? That's the best way I can put it. And uh, before I get into the voice, what I want to do is let uh, the people who've put together the voice speak for themselves a little bit. This is their video spotlight from hearthevoice.com, which is the official publication website for this translation. And uh, this way you can kind of get a feel for what they're doing. And, of course, knowing me, I'll probably pause the video along the way. It sounds promising. When you listen to the video, it sounds like, wow, this is some promise here. But... um The Voice, a new translation of the Bible from Thomas Nelson. This unique project brings together writers, musicians, and other artists with leading biblical scholars. Writers, musicians, poets, and the leading leading musicians and poets. It could be 
Okay, okay. Brian McLaren speaking here. Here we go. Trying to reflect that that, that uh, the Bible, in a way, is a collection of literary artifacts. It's like an art gallery of poetry and parable and. Uh, see, the, the, the Bible's like an art gallery of poetry and parable, of biblical artifacts. Apparently, the Bible's a museum. <clears throat> Proverb and story. Reading the Voice changed reading the Bible for me. Wow, Jill Packett, singer-songwriter. Reading the Voice changed reading the Bible for her. Um, for the first time, I felt like I understood the author, who he was writing to, what he was writing about. I think anybody looking for Don Miller, who's an author, more living interaction with Scripture would do well to read through the voice. We discover the Scripture through the voice, a new translation available this fall. All right, so that's the first of their media videos on the voice. Um, I got another one here. Let me pull this one up. Featured, I featured this one at a little11.com. Here we go. This is from a little 11. Holistic, beautiful, sensitive, balanced. The Voice, a new Bible translation from Thomas Nelson and Ecclesia Bible Society, is a unique project bringing together scholars, writers, musicians, and other artists. From uh... This is the guy heading up the Ecclesia project, Chris Say. He's got a... a an emergent church in Houston, Texas called Ecclesia. Okay, so listen carefully. This is this is one of the major leaders in the emergent church movement. You know, the, the, the time, of even my undergrad studies, I realized that part of what we had done in Bible translation and not allowing the poetry and the narrative to really be celebrated, in fact, we do... What? Not allowing the poetry and narrative to really be celebrated. Okay, <laughs> um... By, by the way, this is only a New Testament, okay? Um, do you think the biography of Mark is poetry? No. That falls under historical narrative, right? But somehow in translation, poetry and narrative have, haven't been allowed to come through in translation work. And as somebody who has three years of graduate of undergraduate work in biblical languages, you know, three years of Greek, three years of Hebrew, I'm going to basically say hogwash. Don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I uh, spent a lot of time doing translation work, and uh, I, I've never suppressed the poetry when, my, when I do my translation work. And uh, when I do my translation work, I always test out my stuff against the NASB. Now, I know that that's going to shock a lot of you because, you know, I use the ESV because that that's the, the Bible that, people who are as pious as I am use. But uh, if I really want to check my Greek work, NASB is where I go. And uh, and funny enough, uh, if I come really close to the NASB, I feel like I've actually accomplished something, like I didn't biff it bad. And, um, and I don't feel any poetry being suppressed in the text when I'm doing that. Just something I just wanted to point out. So I'm, I'm listening to Chris Saya going, Uh-huh. Just the opposite. We even handed and and lose a great deal that it didn't. It wasn't right. And uh, so I had a dream to say, what what if we had the very best poets? What if we got the best fiction writers we could find? Poets and fiction writers to write a Bible. To, yeah, to, to write a Bi- poets and fiction writers. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, 
Now, I, I understand poets and fiction writers, you know, they've served their role in society. But let me ask you, folks, if, uh, if you are having a house custom built, okay, and you need some framing done, do you call uh, a plumber? Yeah, you call plumbers to do framing for your house. No, you don't? Okay, so if you if you need some framing work done for a brand new custom house that you're building, you don't have the framing done by a plumber. How about a doctor? No. No? Um, a baseball player. Now, John, you like baseball players. You wouldn't hire a baseball player to actually frame your house? But, but okay, how, how about a poet? Would you have a poet come and frame your house? Walt Whitman, come on. No? He could write about it. He, he, yeah. <laughs> you, you wouldn't mind if Walt Whitman wrote about the people framing the house, but you may not want to actually give him a hammer and some nails. Yeah, You are just so narrow-minded. You're suppressing poetry. We continue. Has he ever read the Psalms? Psalms. Yeah, folks, if you need poetry, um, P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. Look it up in the contents, table of contents in your Bible. Okay? Um, if you have a Bible with you, literally, if you were to take your Bible and literally just you know, open it in half, you know, go for the midpoint, chances are you'd hit the Psalms. Poetry all over the place there. Lots and lots and lots of poetry. But apparently translators are suppressing poetry. So we need some poets and songwriters to help us with the Bible. And, and we teamed them up with great scholars that had expertise in those unique books. And we not only got the meaning right, but we had a tremendous amount of beauty and poetry. Uh, I'm going to basically make the case, uh, Chris, no, you did not get the meaning right, and I'm going to prove that pretty soon here. Um, stay tuned. We're going to actually look, take a look at some passages. Boy, is it bad. Uh, to it. The Ecclesia Bible Society has pulled together many of those people, David is primary among them, and saying, how do we do this? And ultimately, part of the Bible Society's mission is, is to say, we want more people to be familiar with the whole story of God. More people to be familiar with the whole story of God. Apparently, out of all the translations that are out there on the market today, not one of them has got it right. Uh-huh. Notice how he's literally, you know, in promoting his Bible, he's dissing just about everything else because it suppresses the poetry and doesn't get it right. But this one gets it right. Folks, this crosses the line into the uh, into basically being a cult. The emergent church now has its own Bible, and it's so bad and so inaccurate. The, uh, the only way to describe them as now is, is a cult. Seriously, it's that bad. We continue. We're, we're trying to reflect that, that, that the, the Bible, in a way, is a collection of literary artifacts. Uh, we it's heard like this, an art gallery of poetry and parable and proverb and story. And uh, so hopefully people will get a feel for what this rich, multifaceted uh, resource is. Apparently we couldn't do that with any other translation. Not one translation out there ever gave us the ability to experience the poetry and the proverb and the narrative ever nothing no, not even close right the voice is a dynamic translation that brings the biblical no there's there, okay that's an oxymoron dynamic translation <sighs> it, it this doesn't even qualify as a paraphrase i'm sorry narrative to life reading the voice changed reading the bible for me all right we've heard all that 
Okay, so that's kind of your introduction to the voice, and uh, otherwise known, I call it the uh, new emergent translation. Um, and maybe we can come up with a better name than that, but that's probably a, a good way to describe it. The new emergent translation, and boy, is this thing fraught with problems. So what we'll do is when we get back on from the other side of this break, I've got multiple passages here uh, marked in the voice, and we're going to have to do some comparative work here and uh, see if you can hear the problems because uh, I can see them pretty clearly. So my job is to convey them to you so you get a flavor and a feel for what's going on in the voice. We will be right back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, uh, regarding the fact that I've stepped on your uh, premillennial rapture toes, um, sorry, I, I, you know, I wasn't using golf shoes when I did it. So you know, and don't worry, I didn't you know grind it into the ground. But uh, t- talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's uh, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. Available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com or the big picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. That's ridiculous. All right, y- y'all missed it. John's here in the studio, and he's got a Zippo, and he's, like, waving it in the air like he's at some kind of rock concert. Now, you want to you find out what kind of a nerd I am? 
I've got a program on my iPhone called Zippo. Yes, that's right. I have a virtual Zippo on my iPhone. You can actually flip the lid open and you can strike it and it, it, a little flame happens. And be, the, the new version of Zippo for the iPhone, you can actually blow on the flame. And because there's a microphone in the iPhone, it hears that you're blowing and the flame interacts with your as if you're blowing it. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's how nerdy I am. <sighs> Sorry, I shouldn't have admitted that on the air. Okay, uh, we're talking about The Voice. And before I get into the book itself, I want to read to you uh, from The Voice's website. Listen to this. The, 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 this is from the About page at uh, hearthevoice.com. The Voice, a new way to process ideas. Chris Say's vision for The Voice goes back 15 years to his early attempts to celebrate the beauty and the truth of the biblical narrative. As Western culture moved into what is now referred to as postmodernism, Chris struggled with a deep desire to preach the whole story of God, much like the Hebrews at the time of the New Testament. Emerging generations today connect with story rather than isolated facts. Too often, preaching is reduced to articulating truth statements, somehow hidden in complex, powerful, and, and, and redemptive stories. Jesus taught through parables and metaphors. Modern Christians have attempted to translate his teaching into a system of irrefutable fact statements, and something seems to be getting lost in the translation. Um, Chris, why did you need a new Bible to do that? If you thought that something was getting lost in the translation, why didn't you just preach the narrative? There's really good narrative translations out there. Okay, no, but see, he, he see, you see what's going on here? I mean, this is a whole postmodern ooey-gooey thing going on here. And we're, we've got to get away from doctrine and theology. It sounds a lot like what we heard from Ed Bacon on Oprah's show yesterday. Um, so, hence, a group of writers, poets, scholars, pastors, and storytellers... <clears throat> fiction writers, have committed to work together to bring the scriptures to life in a way that celebrates both beauty and truth, as if this has never been done before. It wasn't possible until this Bible appeared. The result is a retelling of the scriptures, the voice, not of words, but of meaning and experience. Oh, believe me, there's words there, folks, and the words are problematic. The voice is a fresh expression of the timeless narrative known as the Bible. Stories that were told to emerging generations of God's goodness by their grandparents and tribal leaders were recorded and assembled to form the Christian scriptures. Too often the passion, grit, humor, and beauty has been lost in the translation process. The voice seeks to recapture what was lost. Apparently it's, it's going to give us a whole new fresh way of looking at truth. Truth that we've never, ever, 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 ever seen before because they're the ones who got it right. Everyone else is completely biffed it. Have fiction writers. Yeah. You know what was missing? Not scholars, but fiction writers. <laughs> now, from these early ex, uh, early explorations by Chris and, uh, and others has come The Voice, a scripture project to rediscover the story of the Bible. Now, I'm going to rewrite this. No, it's not rediscover. To completely rewrite it and get rid of the crap that we don't like. That's what they, how they would think of it. To rewrite the story of the Bible, Thomas Nelson Publishers and Ecclesia Bible Society have joined together to stimulate unique creative experiences and to develop scripture products and resources to foster spiritual growth and theological exploration out of a heart for the mission of the church and worship of God. Apparently none of this was possible before until 
The Voice. And without any further ado, let's spend some time in The Voice. I happen to have a copy of it here. I purchased it and been perusing it and reading it and just doing a little cross-reference work within, within a good... Retail? Tr- retail, yeah. I bought it at Borders. Yeah, I, I probably, you know, see the things I could have probably called Thomas Nelson up and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm an influential radio guy. And they would have laughed at me and told me to go buy it. <laughs> yeah, apparently, I, no, I'm not really an influential radio guy at all. In fact, <laughs> Chris, who? What's a Rose Burger? <sighs> anyway, so we're in the Gospel of John. By the way, you can actually download the Gospel of John for free. If you go to a little11.com, a little11.com, that's the Museum of Idolatry, and I am the curator of the Museum of Idolatry, so I know about assembling things that are poetic and beautiful. <laughs> uh, sorry, that just didn't even sound right coming for me, even tongue-in-cheek. You can download a PDF copy of the uh, the Gospel of John, and I have a link there at the Museum of Idolatry. And so we'll start there, but we'll we'll spend a little time in Philippians and Romans and do a little comparative work. Here's uh, the Voice's treatment of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. From the Voice, we read, Before time itself was measured, the Voice was speaking. The Voice was and is God. This celestial voice remained ever-present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creating, all things that exist were birthed in Him. His birth filled all things with a living, breathing light, light that thrives in the depths of darkness. Blazing through murky bottoms, it cannot and will not be quenched. (laughs) And you go, What? Okay, let me read it from a good translation, the ESV. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A little different. A little different? A little different? little different i don't this doesn't even qualify as a translation we're in a different universe here okay this isn't really the offensive part but i just wanted to kind of give you an idea of what you were going to be experiencing here by the way it's not john the baptist in uh, the voice he's john the immerser no, i'm not kidding <laughs> you know talk, it, 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 the tail end of, of of john chapter 1 we're not talking about john the baptist he's john the immerser If he was a Lutheran, he'd be John the Sprinkler. <laughs> okay. Now, this is where it gets really weird. Okay. Well, I'm going to scroll down here to uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. In the voice, we read, The true light who shines upon the heart of everyone has come into the cosmos. He does not call out from a distant place, but draws near. He enters our world, a world he made, and speaks clearly, yet his creation did not recognize him. Though the voice utters only truth, his own people who have heard the voice before rebuff this inner calling and refuse to listen. Let me read verse 12, chapter, uh, John chapter 1, verse 11, sorry. Though the voice utters only truth, 
his own people who have heard the voice rebuff this inner calling and refuse to listen. Where on earth do we hear anything in Scripture about a, quote, inner calling? Nowhere, and not even in this verse. Listen to, let me read this to you in a good translation. John chapter 1, starting at verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And apparently, his own did not receive him has now been translated into, um, though the voice utters only truth, doesn't exist in the passage, his own people who have heard the voice before rebuff this inner calling. Anything about an inner calling in the Gospel of John that you see there in your good translation, John? No. Already red flags. I got flags on the play here. Uh <clears throat> Sorry, guys, there's nothing in the Greek either implicit or implied regarding an inner calling and rebuffing an inner calling. What is that garbage? <clears throat> Moving ahead to verse 17. Well, actually, I'll read it in context. Um, verse 15, John 1, verse 15. John the Wanderer, he's the Wanderer before he's the Immerser, by the way, um, who testified of the voice introduced him. This is the one I've been telling you is coming. He is much greater than I because he existed long before me. Though this ma uh, Through this man we all receive gifts of grace beyond our imagination. He is the voice of God. Verse 17. You see, Moses gave us rules to live by, but Jesus, the liberating king, offered the gifts of grace and truth which make life worth living. What does your does uh, John? You're looking. You're shaking your head there at me. Your your translation doesn't say anything about making life worth living. No. This is supposedly a translation, you know. <clears throat> All right, let me read it in a good translation. Okay, well, we I okay. Uh, John chapter one verses fifteen through seventeen in the ESV, which is a good translation, and I would I can even support it from the Greek texts if I needed to. John bore witness about him, that's Jesus, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's different. Okay, so in, in, a new, in a good translation, it says, The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. From the voice we read, you see, Moses gave us rules to live by, but Jesus, the liberating king, offered the gifts of grace and truth, which make life worth living. Huh? Make life... Where are they getting this stuff? That's different. Yeah, that's way different. It's not even in the same... Oh, it's so different. Oh, man. <sighs> All right, here we go. Moving ahead to John chapter 3. Important passage, uh, re you know, regarding, you know, being born again. We read from the voice, otherwise known as the New Emergent Translation if you can even call it that, starting in verse 16, for God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, 
but will have everlasting life. Here's the point. God didn't send his son into the world to judge. Instead, he's here to rescue a world headed towards certain destruction. No one who believes in him has to fear condemnation, yet condemnation is already the reality for everyone who refuses to believe. For everyone who refuses to believe, whoever embraces unbelief swims in a sea of judgment because he chooses to ignore the voice, and in so doing, he rejects the name of the only Son of God. Why does God allow for judgment and condemnation? Well, because the light sent from God pierced through the world's darkness to expose ill motives, hatred, gossip, greed, violence, and the like. Still, some people preferred the darkness over the light because their actions were dark. Some of humankind hated the light and so avoided its warm glow. They scampered hurriedly back into the darkness where vices thrive and wickedness flourishes. Verse uh, verse 21, those who abandon deceit and embrace what is true, they will enter into the light where it will be clear that all their deeds come from God. How do, how do we do, John? Were you following along? Not that good. No, not that good. <laughs> John has deemed that translation to be not that good. He was trying to follow along in a good translation. Folks, if you're not getting some of this, go back and re-listen. Or you can download the Gospel of John, but we're going to get out of the Gospel of John. Just compare it to yourself. Go in and do a little work here. Let me read it to you in a good translation. This might sound familiar to some of you who actually know how to read a Bible. By the way, the way you read a Bible, if if you know how to read, open it up and start reading it in context like you would anything, like a magazine article, a book or whatever. Read it like a book. Read it. You know, begin at the beginning, go, keep going. And, you know, if you have questions, stop and, you know, write, write them down or look for the answers or whatever. But don't read a single verse. You know, read it. Uh, and if you don't know how to read, then go get hooked on phonics. Start there and work your way up. Or on, on CD. Oh, you could listen to it on CD, too. You can go out. They do have audio CDs. But you know what? Here's the problem. Those audio CDs of the Bible are based on translation that suppress creativity and poetry. Because creativity and poetry are the most important things when it comes to the Bible. Who cares about accuracy? We don't need that no more. All right, from a good translation, the ESV... We read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now, how did they handle the condemned part? Okay. Okay. No one who believes in him has has to fear condemnation, yet condemnation is already the reality for everyone who refuses to believe. Is that vague? Uh, is that making it any clearer? That doesn't make it any clearer at all. Whoever believes in him is not, this good translation again, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever believe, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Just a little comparative side by side work makes you go something wrong with the voice. <laughs> that ain't right. Okay, let's let's move ahead here. New heretical New Testament. Huh? The heretical New Testament. Testament? Yeah, that's right. This is is some bad stuff. I mean, 
I can't imagine that there's really any Greek scholars out there that were worth their salt that would defend this as a, quote, translation, because they claim it's a translation. <sighs> Published by the Scripture Project to Rediscover the Story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. All right, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, a very important passage. One of those exclusive claims about Jesus. We read, okay, let me read it to you in the good translation first. We're going we're gonna to do this backwards. We're going to do the good one first. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's verse 1. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for through me. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Okay. So we read from the voice. Starting at verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus speaking, Don't get lost in despair. Believe in God and keep on believing in me. My Father's home is designed to accommodate all of you. If, it were not, if there were not room for everyone, I would have told you that. Huh? If there were not room for everyone, I would have told you that? Sounds like a little universalism getting snuck in there, doesn't it? I'm going to make arrangements for your arrival. I will be there to personally greet you and welcome you home when you, uh, where, you will be, where we will be together. You know where I am going and how to get there. Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the path? Jesus said, I am the path, the truth, and the energy of life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. The energy of of life? He's not the he's not the way the truth and the life, he's now the energy of life. Um boy, that's interesting. Zoe is the Greek word there, by the way. Life in the physical sense, real life. It's Jesus he's saying he's life. He's not saying that he's the energy of life. You know, energy of life has kind of a mystical New Age touch to it, doesn't it? <sighs> Crazy stuff. I guess I mean, if you read it with crystals. Yeah, if you, right. You know what? Really what you should do before you, uh, before you do this, before you read this, um, do a Lectio Divina. Just get a word that comes to mind and then go, Om, you know, because that that's the that's the harmonic frequency of the earth. Om, and you know, and 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 then grab a crystal or two, and pray towards Buddha, because Jesus is the energy of life now. So Jesus is like an energy drink, you know. <sighs> it gets worse. I wonder if I should do these ones next. <laughs> Uh, all right, here we go. Yeah. By the way, you ever if you ever wondered about um, the emergents have a hard time 
actually coming to grips with the fact that the Bible claims that homosexuality is a sin. I don't know if you know this. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Folks, I want to make something clear. I'm not trying to be judgmental against people who are homosexuals. I actually love them and care for them you know, with the love of Christ. I love them enough to tell them the truth that they, according to God's law, are sinning and are guilty of, of sinning against God and, are, and, and face his judgment and tell them to repent and trust in Christ. I say the same message to every sinner. That would be just about everybody on the planet. I don't know anyone else who doesn't fit that description. And homosexuals are welcome in your church. That's right. And not only that, homosexuals are absolutely welcome in my church. They are absolutely welcome. Okay? Why? Because what are we offering there? We're offering the forgiveness of sins to everybody. Because Christ died for the sins of the whole world, including homosexuals. Okay? So don't think I'm getting on some kind of high horse or I'm, I'm acting like James Dobson because I would dare say that a homosexual is a sinner. I'm a sinner for Pete's dragon. I'm a sinner. You know, that, that's just very simple to get, okay? But the emergent folks have a problem with um, coming to grips with the fact that the Bible claims that homosexuality is a sin. And so here in the emergent, the new emergent translation known as the voice. Um, they've actually expunged the word homosexual from a key passage that teaches against homosexuality. I kid you not. <laughs> Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The, uh, the verse in question is in, um, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Let me read it to you in the ESV translation. Or says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, notice that. Okay, now, that's an interesting passage. If you take it out of context, you, you know, somebody says, so it says in the Bible that homosexuals are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, notice it says that some of the people in Corinth were those things, right? So Christ offers forgiveness and mercy to somebody who's committed homosexuality, and even his grace is so good that it can even save somebody who's greedy or a drunkard. Yeah, those dirty, rotten thieves and drunkards, man. Anyway, so uh, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, Okay, will be in uh, the kingdom of God. Now, okay, it's pretty straightforward, and that's a great translation. It actually gets it right. All right, now, so the question is, uh, let's take a look at the NASB. What does the NASB say? Yeah, it says, nor homosexuals. How about the NIV? NIV, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male, or, or, or homosexual offenders. Uh-huh. <laughs> the the uh, Greek word there, by the way, is, Arsenokotes, okay? And that's what it means. It means male homosexuals, okay? 
Well, okay, so we got the ESV, the NASB, and the uh, NIV all saying homosexual. How about the King James? Um, or the effeminate. You see, it, it describes them as effeminate. Okay, but here's the deal. The Greek word there is pretty clear. It's homosexuals. Okay. From the um, the voice, we read, Do you need reminding that un, that the unjust have no share in the blessings of the kingdom of God? Do not be misled. A lot of people stand to inherit nothing of God's coming kingdom, including those whose lives are defined by sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, sexual deviancy, theft, greed, drunkenness, slander, and swindling. People who continue on like this have no chance of inheriting the kingdom. Notice anything missing there? Yeah. Uh-huh. At least now, you know, we can see what the emergent church is all about. So the apparently homosexuality is no longer in the Bible. I'd like to see what they do with the Old Testament. There is another passage that they did keep the word in, but that one was mysteriously expunged. Wonder why. <sighs> we continue in our quest here. We're going to go into Romans. This is where it gets freaky. Okay. Um, we can go into Romans chapter 3 because we Lutherans, we know that passage pretty well. Listen what they do with 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 people sin here in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. All right, here we go. Let me take my context off here in my computerized Bible. Doing a little work here. Um, verse 5, chapter 3. If, from the voice, it reads, If our perpetual injustice and corruption exists merely to accentuate the purity of God's justice, what can we say? Is God unjust for unleashing his fury against us? I'm speaking from our limited human perspective. I'm speaking from our limited human perspective? That's postmodern talk. Again, absolutely not. If we were so if it were so, how could God stand as judge over the world? But if my lies serve only to point out God's truth and bring him glory, then why will I be judged for my sin? There are slanderous charges out there that we are saying things like, uh, let's be as wicked as possible so that something good will come from it. Those malicious gossips will get what they deserve. So so what then? Are, are Jews better off? Well, no, not at all. We've made it clear that people everywhere, Jews and non-Jews, are living under the power of sin. Living under the power of sin? Living under the power of sin. They insert the word power, which is not in the Greek, and kind of makes it sound like we're all kind of victims. And then, you know, when I read this, I went, hmm, I wonder what they did with Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's not better. Ephesians chapter 2. From, you know, this is a passage, Romans chapter 3 is a passage that clearly talks about our sinful state, right? And they've taken it and done something weird with it. And a good cross reference would be Ephesians chapter 2, really starting in verse 1. And we'll read it from the voice here. It says, as for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? That's the, <laughs> just comparative work here. 
verse 1 of chapter 2 in Ephesians in the voice says, As for you, don't you remember how you used to just exist? In a good translation says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Because you're not a sinner anymore. Yeah, so apparently we're not really sinners anymore. As for you, don't you know how you just how you used to just exist? Rather than you were a sinner and dead in trespasses and sins, you just existed. No, no condemnation. Yeah. The voice continues, corpses dead in life, buried by transgressions, wandering the course of this of this perverse world. You were the offspring of the prince of the power of the air. Oh, how he owned you just as he still controls those living in disobedience. I'm not talking about the outsiders alone. We were all guilty of falling headlong for the persuasive passions of this world, and we have all had our fill of indulging the flesh and mind, obeying impulses to follow perver per perverse thoughts conceived in dark of dark powers. As a result, our natural inclinations led us to be children of wrath, and we, like the rest of humankind, were due to receive the full weight of God's fury. There goes the doctrine of original sin. Gone. It doesn't exist in the voice because now apparently, you know, we just, you know, we're victims of following the natural inclinations of things. And we just existed. Eh, as for you, don't you remember how you used to exist? Let me read it from you from a good translation. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Interesting, huh? Apparently, we are... <clears throat> which is interesting. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, because there you got a great good gospel passage, right? For it is by God's grace that you have been saved. You receive it through faith. It was not our plan or our effort. It is God's gift, pure and simple. You didn't earn it. None of us did. So you don't go around bragging that you must have done something amazing. For we are the product of his hands, heaven's poetry etched on lives, created in Jesus, the liberator, to accomplish the good works God arranged long ago. Nothing in there about it being heaven's poetry? No. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about Jesus the Liberator? No. No, nothing about Jesus the Liberator either, huh? <sighs> very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. How about the clear example of the gospel? You know, by the way, if you want to know what the gospel is clearly, um, you go to... Uh, I didn't read that from a good translation, did I? I got to read Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10 from a good translation. I just assume people know because I quote it all the time. Uh, from a good translation, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, you know, that almost sounded poetic. That was the ESV. 
<sighs> How about the uh, clear presentation of the gospel? Folks, if you ever need to know just a concise definition of the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through, you know, 5. Okay? Um, maybe 6. Who knows? We'll read. Okay? This is from a good translation. This is from the ESV. Paul writes, Now I re- would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, those, he hasn't, okay, the, let me, now let me read this, these first three verses in the voice. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you when we first met. It's the essential message that you have taken to heart, the central story you now base your life on. And through this gospel, you are liberated, unless, of course, your faith has come to nothing. Base your life on? So apparently, um, in which you received, in which you, in which you take your stand, is now translated as in which the central story you now base your life on. I smell, I smell works righteousness here. You know, it's like when you go to a concert. You ever, you know, like we went to the Van Halen concert. It's like all of a sudden you went, man, that smells like marijuana. Folks, I, yeah, that, yeah, that smells like works righteousness. I, I smell that works righteousness in there. We continue. Let me read from a good translation the next few verses. This is from the ESV. For I delivered as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. By the way, nice little poetic piece here. That's from an early creed in Christendom, one of the first. Okay, verses 3 and you know, 3 and 4. From the, um, from the voice... For I passed down to you the crux of it all, which I had also received from others, that the liberating king died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, and all of this happened to fulfill the scriptures. It was the perfect climax of God's covenant story. Anything in there about perfect climax covenant story? Mm-mm. Nothing, huh? Hmm. Okay. I'm I'm getting disappointed in this, to say the least. All right. Um, hmm. All right. Let's go back to Romans chapter eight. This is just bad stuff, man. Oh, you know, go to five. Go to five. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Got to go to Romans chapter five first, and then we'll go to eight. You know, marked all these things ahead of time, folks. I swear. If you've done any work at all doing any translation work in the Greek, in the Hebrew, this is not a translation. This is not. It's not balanced. It it doesn't clear anything up. It muddies things, if anything. They claim this is a fresh and creative way of work. Well, I guess this is what happens when you don't have biblical scholars working on a translation. Instead, you've hired poets and songwriters and fiction writers. <sighs> Uh, chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6, okay? Here's what it says in a good translation. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay? We read from the voice. Verse 6. When, chapter 5, verse 6. When the time was right, our liberating king died for all of us who were far from God and powerless and weak. Now, it's rare to find someone willing to die for an upright person, although it's possible that someone might give up his life for one who is truly good. But think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in, an in a tangible display. The liberating king died for us. Tangible display? This is the, Jesus the giving us a tangible display of his love while we were wasting our lives. It's different, isn't it? I wish it was going to get better. Oh, here we go. Romans chapter four. Tell into three. Tell into three. This is where it gets really bad. This is really bad. Oh, <laughs> Talk about smelling works righteousness. This one smells, you know, like a fresh dog poo, you know, on your lawn. Ugh. This one's pretty bad. You know, here we let me read this to you. Uh, Romans chapter three, verse twenty-one through maybe twenty-six. Let me read it to you in a good translation. But now the righteousness righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation means to basically uh, soothe the wrath of God. Uh, propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Good stuff. From the voice, we read, But now for the good news. Oh, good. This is the good news. God's restorative justice has entered the world. God's restorative justice has entered the world? Huh? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 21 says. But now, for the good news, God's restorative justice has entered the world independent of the law. Both the law and the prophets told us that this day would come. This redeeming justice comes through the faithfulness of Jesus, the liberating king, who makes salvation a reality for all who believe, without the slightest partiality. You see, all have sinned, and all their futile attempts, to futile attempts to reach God in his glory fail. Yet they are now saved and set right by his free gift of grace through the redemption available only in Jesus, the liberating king. When God set him up to be the sacrifice, the seed of mercy where sins are atoned through faith, his blood became the demonstration of God's own restorative justice. His blood became the demonstration of God's restorative justice huh all of this confirms his faithfulness to the promise and his unique position to expunge the record of sin over the course of human history this expression of god's restorative justice displays in the present that he is just and righteous and that he makes right those who trust 
and commit themselves to Jesus. Yeah, verse 26 in the uh, the voice says that uh, God is just and righteous and he makes right those who trust and commit themselves to Jesus. Verse 26, by the way, in a good translation, it says this, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Nothing in the Greek. There's not one thing in the Greek that you can point to and says that God will save you if you trust and commit yourself to Jesus. And commit yourself. This completely undermines salvation by grace through faith. Yep, I sm- yep, works righteousness. I smell it. It's liberal works righteousness. It's not. It's not the James Dobson kind of work jo- righteousness. It's kind of the uh, social gospel works righteousness. But now, see, see, God came into the world. His restorative justice. See, God's righteousness is replaced with His restorative justice. This is a complete mangling of the scriptures. Mangling. Not even close. We're not even on the same planet. Okay? Now, Romans 8. And I think we'll end in Romans 8. Just, I wanted to get this out there. I'm going to have to probably spend some time writing about this. And show, you're putting your side-by-side stuff so that you can see it. It's really, 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 really bad. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> we read in a good translation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay. Seems pretty straightforward. Here it is from the, um, the voice. Obviously, this is not the voice of God. Well, you know, I need to get Josh in here to do his Satan impersonation again. Yeah, but <laughs> I, yeah, early on in the program, I, I interviewed the Prince of Darkness, and uh, Josh was our did our did the voice of Satan is you know it's the voice. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> from the voice we read. Therefore, now no condemnation condemnation awaits those who are living in Jesus, the liberating King, avoiding sin and embracing the Spirit. Anything in there about avoiding sin and embracing the Spirit? No. Because when you live in Him, a new law takes effect. The law of the Spirit of life breathes into you and rescues you from the law of sin and death. God did something the law could never do. You see, human flesh took its toll on God's law. In and of itself, the law is not weak, but the flesh weakens it. So so to condemn... The sin that was ruling in the flesh, God sent his own son, bearing the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Now we are able to live up to the justice demanded by the law, but that ability has not come from living by our fallen human nature. It has come because we walk according to the movement of the spirit in our lives. Even close? No. No. Yeah, I smell. Yeah, that's some pretty powerful works righteousness there. Yeah, um, folks, here. here coming from within you. Yeah, apparently it's coming from within you, right? And yeah, now you have the ability to keep the. 
Right. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, no, nothing coming from with you is wonderful. I've seen you work. Yeah. Verse four. Now we are able to live up to the justice demanded by the law. So the per- Christ came, and now you're able to live up to the justice demanded by the law. Apparently, now because of Christ, you can keep the law. But that ability has not come from living by our fallen human nature. It has come because we walk according to the movement of the Spirit in our lives. Folks, this is just a sampling. This is just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We did about eight or nine passages. This is just a sampling, okay, of the major passages of Scripture as it pertains to sin, to uh, issues of homosexuality, Christ, who he is and what he's done for us, Law versus gospel. And this translation is not a translation. It's not even a paraphrase. It's a complete emergent interpretation. And it's wrong. It's completely off the mark and cannot be defended from the Greek at all in in these important passages. This is the type of thing where, folks, I'm convinced at this point, the emergent church, by publishing this type of document and claiming that this is a new and fresh Bible, has crossed the line into becoming a cult, just like the Jehovah's Witnesses. And people who draw their doctrine and think that what they're hearing in the voice is actually God's word will find themselves in hell because this is not preaching the truth. This is mangling the truth and obscuring it. And who cares about the poetic, creative stuff? The creative, the creative part is the problem. We don't need creativity when it comes to the Bible. We need fidelity. So, yeah, I, I'll probably end up writing an article, doing a little side-by-side work so that people can see this for themselves and go, whoa, something to, something be wrong there. So, anyway, if you would, uh, we're, we're at the end of our show. <laughs> Oh man, what a so. Maybe we'll do some Oprah tomorrow. I got some other stuff I got to get to. We just don't have time today. Why? Because I waxed eloquent about the voice. Um, just want to remind you all: Pirate Christian Radio is listener supported, and I also need to make this clear: if you send in your money to uh, the issues, etc., guys, and uh, and Lutheran Public Radio, two completely different entities. Okay. So uh, your your contributions to uh, the issues, et cetera, boys, that that helps their specific program. But uh, if you are, you know, I, what I, what we need here is uh, you need to partner with us for Pirate Christian Radio, which supports all of the programming and all of the stuff that goes on here on Pirate Christian Radio. Um, if you would like to partner with us, we really really could use your support, and you can support us by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio at PO Box seven nine one San Juan Capistrano, California. 92693. That's Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you heard in the voice and, you know, or or the rapture or anything like that, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless you.